What's good, y'all? My name is Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast, where I have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. And got another dope episode for y'all this week, but wanted to share some really quick ways to support the show. One, like, subscribe, and review. It really helps folks discover the show. Follow RTWD on IG or other social media platforms at RTWD Podcast. Uh, and then finally, join the Real Fan Patreon page. By you financially supporting the show, you literally help run the show because this ain't free. Um, all right, y'all, I want to get to the guests because I'm so excited. We were talking and chatting just before um, I started recording this, and I'm really excited. So um, my guest this week is Dr. Kimya Nuru. She is a community advocate, sociologist, criminologist, educator, researcher, and founder of 365 Diversity. But in this episode, we spent some time talking about her background and DEI spaces, the issues with the DEI community, with DEI committees and official statements that have so conveniently been forgotten by many organizations after 2020, how organizations can determine whether a supposed DEI expert is worth it, and so much more. There is a lot to get into this episode, um, but I am so happy that we have somebody who is here to share some knowledge and wisdom with us and do it honestly and real. All right, y'all, here is Dr. Kimya. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. I would love for you to share with The Real Fam about, you know, a little bit more about who you are. All right, thank you. So I am Dr. Kimya Nuru-Dennis. And I am born and raised in Richmond, Virginia, second capital of Confederacy, mm. and raised by two Black educators who are also sociologists. And I have three brothers and one who just recently passed away, who spent 30 years of his life as a Black man health professional specializing in Black health. Mm. So my brothers and I were raised in a household where we were required to to learn outside of what our schools were teaching. And this includes predominantly Black Richmond public schools that the curriculum is based on white people. And that's mm. still the case in every school in the United States of America, including most HBCUs and much of the world that's controlled by white people. And mm. so that's my background. And I always introduce that as my background because my work is based on thousands of years of African knowledges around the world, five centuries on Western Hemisphere, long before the acronym DEI, DNI, whatever other acronym Jedi, people create at any given yep. moment. Yep. Whenever, before all that was created, I'm a descendant of enslaved Africans on this stolen land that became United States of America. And I want people to understand that there's tons of African knowledges, Black knowledges, that you will not find in most libraries, most schools, most curriculum. And therefore, I want white people in particular to know that connecting with me and collaborating with me means you better learn this work that existed before there was a DEI acronym. You better understand people like my parents as Black sociologists and Black activists who started conducting racial justice trainings for white people in the 1960s, 1970s. That's not Mm. new. Yeah. You better understand knowledge and learning and you better understand connecting with me beyond complimenting my locks and complimenting black music. If that's all you know, you don't know black knowledge and inconveniencing yourself to Mm. go to black bookstores, then there's nothing to discuss. So thank you. 
Yes. Thank you so much for dropping all of that. And I, all right. The reason why I like laugh and like smile is because like, I think the, first of all, like I feel encouraged and empowered by like the unapologeticness that you like show and it like, you know, and I feel, and we were talking about this a little bit before, but like sometimes even with this show, I feel, uh, I feel like I'm withholding, like I'm, I'm still like trying to like appease or like show up differently than I would, you know, with my black brothers and sisters. And so I, I, uh, I, yeah, it, it's, it really is like a, a, an internal struggle oftentimes when I'm doing this, even when I have, you know, uh, black guests on. So I appreciate your, your candidness, your unapologeticness to show up, um, and just be you holistically. I, I love it. I love it so much. Um, so I'm curious, that's my first question. Where, uh, where did that come about? And like, when did you like, you know, just show up authentically for, um, in this world? Thank you. So it started again being a Black child born and raised in the Second Capital Confederacy, mm. Monument Avenue, where Black folk have demanded those monuments torn down for generations. And white people told us that if we tear it down, the funds have to come from somewhere, which will mean it has to come from Black schools and Black neighborhoods. That's the mm. five centuries of white people's threat to us. So that's why I tell black folk now those those monuments torn down and white people vandalizing the Arthur Ashe statue. Don't be quick to celebrate because white people, when I say white people, I'm talking about every political party, every socio-political affiliation. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about white people. Yeah. With no exceptions. Yep. White people bet on us being easily impressed, cheerful and happy, and not demanding follow-up, which includes annual assessments, financial evaluations, so that we can prove that white people have not found behind the scenes ways to punish black people for changes. Mm. And when I say white people, that includes white accommodating people, white enough people, and token sellouts whose lives and careers are based on making sure white people remain in power in school decision makers, politicians, medical and health facilities. So I come from a family where we were taught knowledge. We were taught to watch Tony Brown's journal on the weekend. I love mm. Tony Brown's journal. You can find his website and order his old episodes of come on PBS. And we were just required to watch and, and learn. So if we're watching old school, like video soul rap city, you want to be raps. We also had to watch the news and read and my parents taught us to challenge curriculum. Mm. Black knowledge is not based on what schools say, hey, this is what you should learn. We can learn that, but they don't tell us the beginning and end of Black awareness and Black knowledge. So that's mm. the foundation that I use as a professor, as a community advocate that I use when I do collaborations with nonprofits. It is unapologetic. Why? Because Black folk, we've tried different things. We've tried to apologize while we're being lynched and stalked. We've tried to smile. Mm. We've tried to accommodate and comfort the oppressor. Mm. The outcome is the same, whether we smile or yell. I, I mean, I, I, I feel like, uh, in particular, in my, in my family, it's, it's so interesting. Like, uh, we didn't explicitly talk about race, but all of the rules that existed around like police and behavior around like you, you, you already know all the rep respectability politics of it all. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until like, you know, I started doing this podcast, having conversations 
with my mom, who is um, who I think honest and, and to her credit, I, I don't want to just be like my mom, like screwed me over. Like she really didn't. <laughs> Um, she did. She was literally doing the best that she could um, with the knowledge that she could. But like the respectability mm-hmm. politics were heavy. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I, I had to ask straight up, like, why didn't you talk about like explicitly, you know, uh, I can be in danger um, in white spaces because of my black skin, you know, mm-hmm. and, and she didn't want that to be like an anchor or something that held me back. But like to me, the way I view it is like this is something that I want to be a proud of. Um, and unintentionally with like the language or like kind of like the way that we went about it, it's almost like, uh, oh, I- I'm just going to say it. It's going to be, it's going to be all right. It, there's almost like a shame attached to it. And so like the opposite effect actually happened and took place. And so it wasn't until like, you know, mid twenties and not in my late twenties, early thirties that I'm like having to like undo all of that work. You know what I'm saying? So that I can, I can like really show up, un- uh, show up authentically. Uh, and be my full beautiful black self you know and so um yeah and even now that I, I'm running like my own company and like my what I struggled with a lot is like I don't want to be like a DEI specialist because like then as a black person I'm going to be labeled that that's it you know um going into these organizations trying to do organizational development stuff talent management stuff which I could do all of that like that's my primary modality but like for them, it's like, all right, can you talk about like, make sure you like input like diversity stuff and leadership. It's just like, okay, I'm an organizational psychologist. I can help, I can do a lot more work. So like when I tell people that like, it, there's really no clear separation for me between like my work self and personal self, there's like, there's no line. Um, it all blends in together. Like that's what I'm saying. Um, it starts with like how I was raised and like, my blackness and all that stuff and like mm-hmm. how I show up and, and try and speak in, uh, with these organizations. It, yeah. it really is, a uh, it's wild to communicate, um, to a lot of different people, not just white people, but a lot of different people mm-hmm. that like have not even explored their own racial, um, identity. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you for saying that because that's a constant phase throughout our lives because, being black, for example, does not mean that you have to confuse blackness and black pride with oppression. It doesn't mm. have to be synonymous, right? Mm. And as as a sociologist and criminologist who has years of teaching race and ethnic relations courses, it was very common for students, particularly white liberal students, to be offended that they actually had to learn the background and the history of racial identities. They had to learn how all these European nations, European ethnicities, European cultures, European-based religions became assimilated into whiteness and identified as white. A lot of Mm -hmm. students over the years would complain on student evaluations because Dr. Dennis actually force them to learn beyond yelling racism, beyond saying white privilege, beyond saying white supremacy, beyond that, those catchphrases that don't change anything. Black Mm -hmm. scholars, black activists, black communities, black individuals have centuries on the Western hemisphere of knowledge. We have poetry, we have arts, we have writings and books that you won't find in most places Mm -hmm. where we have clearly explained that you have to learn the foundation and history and the purpose before you claim that you're going to be the one dismantling inequities. 
Mm. Like if the only thing you know is the word racism and yelling at white people, that's why since the 1980s episodes of the Phil Donahue show, white people started appearing on Phil Donahue show pretending that there is a such thing as reverse racism, racism against white people. Yeah. Phil Donahue would have entire episodes that we used to watch when I was in elementary school where he allowed white people to come express anger because now they claim to be racially oppressed. I mean, so many guests had to explain to white people that, no, you, you're the power majority. This exists because of you. Just like when we're talking about heterocentrism, homophobia, mm. cisgenderism, transphobia, cisgender people and heterosexuals cannot pretend to be oppressed based on their gender identity and sexuality. Yep. And when I explain it that way, a lot of people, including white women and white liberal women, they understand it. Mm -hmm. Oh, that makes sense. But then when we talk about race, that's when these same white liberal women get uncomfortable mm -hmm. because not only do they have to look in the mirror, they have to look in the mirror while acknowledging that I don't believe in a such thing as white ally. I do not give ally awards and buttons mm. and I demand accountability and consistency and I tell white people all the time, instead of trying to hug me all the time, instead of trying to get a thank you card from me, I'm going to ask you, why are you constantly hanging around indigenous people, black people, Asians, non-white Hispanics, non-white Latinx, Latin A, mm. Latino people? Why are you around us? Go hang with other white people and challenge that which you claim you're challenging. Mm, mm. Right? Yep. Like I'm cisgender heterosexual. So when I am in LGBTQIA spaces, particularly Black LGBTQIA spaces, I'm not acknowledged, nor should I be, because mm -hmm. this is a constant responsibility on my part mm -hmm. to not be in these spaces to get worshipped as a savior, yep. but instead to be in my cisgender heterosexual spaces to dismantle that amongst myself and amongst other cisgender heterosexual people. Mm -hmm. In other words, always trying to be around the minoritized people means that you're trying to escape accountability from your own group. Listen, I was just famous for. I was literally just about to like ask that point too because I feel like even when I do it myself, you know, what I'm saying like I I don't have tough conversations because I'm just amen and everything that I'm hearing. You know, when I'm in mm -hmm. spaces that I'm like, you know, the minority in, um, and so like it really is the 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 challenge with like quote unquote allyship and uh, accompliceship and all that stuff is like when you do that in the spaces where um, a power majority exists, right? And so like, you gotta like be able to challenge those and really show up in those spaces. Um, mm -hmm. You did mention, and I, and I just used the phrase power majority. Would mm -hmm. you be able to break down that? Cause I think that that's a newer term um, for a lot of, uh, a lot of um, my listeners. Cause it was new until I heard you on a few other podcasts. Okay. For me. So thank you for saying that. So I wanna highlight that's not new. And this okay. is why I want people to read writings over the century mm, because mm -hmm. i really want people to escape these acronyms to escape these trendy hashtags these new ideas of trainings all of that is 100 100% based on teaching white people because white people for centuries have chosen not to learn on their own time yeah and on their own dime yes. right yep so when we talk about majority and minority, I always clarify we're talking about power because mm. you can be the population size majority, but the power minority. 
we can look at many examples, like because of white people's colonialism that of course shifted into forms of colonialism in, in Asian nations as well. Mm. Because of that, you have entire nations, entire continents of black people, of Asians, of indigenous people. Mm. So they are the population size majority. You might not see any white people, right? Yeah. However, what is oftentimes taught and learned in schools is white people. Mm-hmm. You might see your own people, but the pubs and the people who granted permission for accreditation purposes tend to be white people. This mm. is around the world. Yeah. So that's why power is important because I don't believe in bias trainings. I don't care how people try to phrase it to convince me otherwise, because mm. literally what you sit in doing in bias trainings is explaining to people bias and pretending that discussing bias prejudices result in something being accomplished besides the trainers being paid. Mm. So that's why power is important because bias trainings are most common for the two groups that actually control our lives the most. Mm -hmm. Which two groups do you think those are? White men, white cisgender men. Well, first of all, I, don't, I always talk about white power does not vary by gender identity. Mm, okay. I mean, it sounds so awesome because white liberal, white progressive women really want people to pretend that this was created by cisgender white men and those are the main perpetuators and perpetrators for five centuries. And that's not the case. If you're mm. anyone familiar with Race to Dinner, I was interviewed for them. I think right before COVID-19 started, where we where I actually did a discussion or a quote you can find where I explained the concerns regarding white women in, in particular. Mm. And so with that in mind, though, the two groups that are most popular for doing bias trainings are law enforcement and police oh. departments yep. and medical and health organizations and facilities. And they do that because the idea is to pretend that you've challenged their bias and now changes have happened, right? Mm. And we're expected to say, yeah, police departments are doing bias trainings, therefore we can't ask questions about budget, about the facts that police departments have military gear mm. and even military tanks almost, depending on where you are. Yep. So bias trainings are that distraction. So that's why I always tell people, this is why I do not use DEI in reference to myself because when most people hear equity work, they don't think about centuries of this work for certain topics and thousands of years for other topics. What they think about is white people's New York Times bestseller, white people's awards. <laughs> I mean, this includes black people who receive yeah, yeah. awards and bestseller yeah. books. In other words, it's based on white liberal permission. Black mm -hmm. people's voices for thousands of years for some topics, including when talking about anti-capitalism long before Karl Marx and Frederick Engels existed. By the mm -hmm. way, Marx and Engels did not care about Black people. Yeah. They actually were anti-Asian as well. They really mm -hmm. took it from a European white standpoint to talk about the uprising of the proletariat. Mm -hmm. So this is why I just explain it. When we're talking about power, we have to explain how power also shapes when people say they want forms of equity and justice. Mm -hmm. Like when we talk about LGBTQIA rights, most people are thinking about in terms of white LGBTQIA. Mm. I have a disability. Most people, when we're talking about disability rights, it's white people with a disability. Mm. When we talk about lower socioeconomic status, 
black people are blamed daily for lower socioeconomic status, but let white people who are the population size majority in this nation to be the topic of socioeconomic status, then it's an American problem, right? Mm, and you mm. also see that with every presidential election happening. Yeah. So that's why power is very important. And I always tell, including Black-led organizations, that if you're going to quote Karl Marx or anything, you want to understand that you have to understand racial variants and how people understand this and how they respond to this in the first place. So that's where our power shapes change as well. Mm. No, I, I really appreciate you breaking that down um, for me because I think, yeah, oftentimes I feel like people like he, get lost get lost in the sauce to be honest because like that 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 uh, uh as far as like power goes like i i didn't even yeah I, i'm not even like i don't normally like even just consider like beyond like what does that like what how much power dictates a lot of the things that that happen and go on you know um around me every single day and like having a clear distinction of that is like incredibly helpful to even um yeah understand how like real change can actually happen like real systemic change can actually happen which um, this might be a big question but i'm i'm like curious i'll just ask you with that in mind like because we talk about like big systemic change all of the time like it that yeah. was huge in 2020 um and nothing happened <laughs> so um, I, I don't believe i don't trust politicians and political parties so i always tell black people to stop aligning with you know stop joining campaigns and donating to campaigns and Voting rights need to focus on local elections, and if you and you and if you do presidential elections, it can never be based on trusting a politician, political party. But you know, anyway, back to your question. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I mean, we that might be a worthwhile tangent to explore because I'm like, I've been fed up with politics for a minute, and I did undergraduate, and so I was I was drinking the Kool Aid for a minute. I'm like, politics, politics is a way to go. You know what I'm saying? And like. It just ain't like they don't they do not care about us. Um, they care about power. They care about the money. Um, they get lobbied and make a lot of money from all these big corporations and all that stuff. And regardless, it, it's just it's it's really uh, it's frustrating. Um, but anyways, uh, so my question is, is like, how do we like and maybe you answered it with like the local politics piece. Um, but like, how do we like even make start to make or if you have any thoughts on like big systemic change in regards to uh power fascinating so one thing i always recommend including for my students is stop using terms like systemic systematic and structural mm. Mm -hmm. or structured i always and i'm saying this as a sociologist who we're the ones to initiate a lot of these terminologies why do i say stop using it because most people have no idea what that stuff means okay <laughs> right yeah that's true I mean, you see this at in classrooms, you see it at conferences, you see it at meetings, you see it at outrage school, official events, you see it at everywhere, yeah. you see it on social media. And when you say, okay, well, tell me what you're talking about, people get offended because they say, what's well, common sense what I mean? No, it's not. Mm -hmm. Right? I don't believe in a such thing as common sense. I believe that common sense is another catchphrase used to make sure that you don't really discuss things and you don't change anything. Mm. You pretend that things go without saying because you particularly do not want to offend white people by saying it. Mm. 
And therefore the problems persist and these are measurable, observable problems and also problems behind the scenes that perpetuate. And then when people call it out, black people in particular, and this is black people with various minoritized identities in addition to blackness, mm. are told constantly, including after voting, that changes take time, vote or die. So when we're talking about systemic, systematic, which are two different things, technically. When we're talking about that, this is why I tell people, what are you looking for? And this is very common because white liberals, white progressives, white Democrats, white libertarians, white anti-fascists, white socialists, and white communists have used Donald Trump as their ammunition, no pun intended, to use further disguises and further excuses for their white power. Because now they really know that everyone else is desperate and the focus will be on challenging Trump and GOP Republicans and not challenging white people as a collective. Mm. So therefore, if we talk about systemic or structural, these white people consider themselves an exception who will not be challenged and held accountable. The problem is only Trump supporters. Yep. The problem is only Trump supporters who are anti-vaccine. The problem mm. is only Trump supporters who are anti-mask. The problem is only Mitch McConnell. The problem is only GOP. Mm. Despite the aggregate of white people, not just in USA, but Canada, because Canada is centuries of the same white power, white terrorism. They mm -hmm. just ended slavery sooner because they found a way to shift their economic power to mm. not need enslaved Africans. But we're talking about around the world. And when we talk about systemic changes, it's a difficult discussion because white liberals in particular, white progressives and so forth, they want it to be talking about a politician and political party. Like vote, make sure so-and-so is not in office. That means absolutely nothing because no matter who is in office, the outcome is the exact same. It's just the outcome with flowers or the outcome with feces. Yeah. So when people say, what changes can we make? I always have to say, well, be specific in what you're requesting. Mm. This is not yep. abstract. This, if you're talking to me about schools, this is what I specialize in, changing curriculums. Mm. I specialize in assessing the demographics and cultures represented in reference pages in libraries. Mm. When I created an academic program, I was in charge of the, the accreditation part and changing libraries mm. and hiring faculty and assessing faculty. If people are asking me about medical and health component, I do presentations and trainings for that as well. The people who want me to do presentations and trainings are very excited to see me if they think that I'm going to not require too many changes. Mm. What they really oftentimes want is just like when you see people talk about they had a, a wonderful book that they're now using a class. We're supposed to celebrate a book in a class Ignore the problems in the libraries, the standardized tests, the accreditation agencies. Ignore that. Ignore that before even white people discovered critical race theory, <laughs> which is a theory from the 1980s, which includes some white theorists who yep. support it since the 1980s. So that's why I always say when people ask me what changes, what can we change, how can we change, Number one, I say, well, that is such an abstract question. Mm. What do you mean? Yeah. And the next question is, if I answer that question, what are you going to do? <laughs> I don't have lunch gatherings with people who are full of nonsense. 
Like yeah. when I do this work, we're not going to go to lunch afterwards after I realize that you really just are trying to tokenize me as a black woman. Yeah, you yeah. know, Dr. Dennis, we're not going to lunch for that. Mm -hmm. Like if people are not trying to do some stuff, then we're, we're not going to share drinks afterwards. Yeah. Because you're never, I never let people to cite me and say, well, Dr. Dennis agrees with us. I don't, which is mm. why you don't see me later. Yeah. So that's my challenge to you is when asking people, what can we do to change? You have to think about exactly what are you trying to change? Mm. And along with that, realize that humans have existed on hundreds of thousands of years. All of these problems will exist as long as humans exist. Mm -hmm. So we contribute to changes in our lifetime and we leave the groundwork for every generation, just like black people have done for us. Right. Mm -hmm. So the same thing, if you're changing schools, if you're removing the prevalence of police departments, never think that you're going to remove something. And the moment you fall asleep, people are not trying to reverse your change. That's the whole purpose. They are there to ruin your improvement. Right. Mm hmm. So therefore, you need to know, here's the groundwork. Here's what we're going to have to continue doing to implement this. And we also focus on getting Black people to not be so reliant on white saviors for approval. Mm. <clears throat> Hold on. <laughs> uh, you gave me a lot to chew on there um, and all amazing stuff. I, Dr. Kimia, I really appreciate like the challenge, too, of not only being like specific, and like what we want to do and what we want to change, but actually like going out and doing it. Cause I feel like sometimes I get caught in that trap myself of like, I want all these things to change. And sometimes it's so much stuff that I like see witness, whatever. I think I get stuck in like, uh, in the conversation part. Cause the conversation part is easy like that. But the real work, like you said, <laughs> it's not gonna, it's not gonna stop. So once you start it, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't cease. Like somebody always wants to, Take it away, reverse it, change it, implement something, implement something different. Um, white supremacy evolves, um, racism evolves and changes. It's it's a virus, and so like, what a way if I'm gonna start it and have those things like have like like continue and, and stay in the fight and do it. Um, yeah, and also think about the terminology. So so I'm also Pan African. So when mm. we talk about white supremacy, I, I have had to remind myself to put quotation marks around supremacy. White mm. people are not superior, right? White people yeah. are not more knowledgeable. White people did not create most of the sciences, medicines, health approaches, mm. mathematics, all this arts and literatures that we're taught in schools, including in PhD programs, that's, mm. that existed before even racial categories were created by white people for colonialism and transatlantic slavery. So that's why the supremacy part needs to have asterisks because a lot of times when we say supremacy, it, it, and, and you know, you have this psych psychology background. So, you know, the mm. social psychological impact that's also connected to sociology work yep. and where we talk about the more we say something, the more indigenous people, Aboriginal people, black people in particular start to believe, well, maybe white people do know more. Maybe white people are the decision makers, just like mm. for religion, Christianity, particularly the white form of Christianity that was mm. originally considered white Anglo-Saxon was considered as presenting white people as the rescuers, right? Mm. And so that's just another way to think about how we define this. So you'll see a lot of 
Black work over the centuries and, and a lot of pro-Black people and a lot of Pan-African people around the world and in the United States of America who you'll see they never mention non-Black people and they never mention white people. Mm. Instead, they want Black people to really focus on developing and helping each other mm-hmm. in terms of learning about Black knowledge, learning how to do what Du Bois called the double consciousness, right? We wear different mm. hats. To distinguish knowing how to coexist as compared to being forced to pretend that we're not Black when we see fit, right? Yeah. Uh, the newer terms have been code switched, but I always tell Black folk, no matter the new terms, you want to understand the origins of these terms that Black folks have done for centuries, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times people will pretend that code switching is okay. I actually had a huge debate a couple years ago in a virtual session that we did a panel, and a Black woman said code switching is normal. It's okay. <laughs> well, it's not. Yeah. Uh, number one, when we're talking about minoritized people having a code switch to save our lives from power majorities, save our careers, save our education, save our family, to save our environment from being ruined, mm-hmm. it's not the same as having to be professional when you go to work. And even highlighting the need to be professional is a very European white standard of what professional means in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like we have to have our hair a certain way. We got to talk a certain way. We have to look a certain way. And so that's why I always tell Black people, we have to think about how we perpetuate what's going on. Because white power, white dominance around the world, that's only about 12% white. And that's various religions, ethnicities, nations of origins and religions. White people perpetuate that as a central focus, but the rest of us have to comply for it to really perpetuate because Mm -hmm. if we're more than 88% of the world and we can combine across nations, we have to be honest of how that compliance perpetuates it. Like we can't continue to blame white people. Like all we need is white apologies Mm -hmm. without holding ourselves and each other accountable for saying, how can you challenge white people on one end but then the next day you're complying to the same thing you criticized the day before. Mm-hmm. Like you're cha- you're critiquing white people's version of school curriculum, but the next day you darn sure studied and took that exam knowing good and well that the form of mathematics you were taught was not thousands of years of Asian math, indigenous math, African math. You were taught the form of math that white people thought was something you need to know. So if mm-hmm. you keep complying to that, I'm not saying you have to challenge everything, but if you keep complying with most things, why should white people stop? You're going to be smiling Negro regardless. Mm. Uh, dang, I didn't know I was going to go to class today, <laughs> Dr. King. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the the code switching thing, like I, um, I, I kind of get frustrated with myself too uh, when I think about the code switching thing because like it happens so naturally. And I know like when I, when I'm like done with the conversation, I'm like, why did I do that? Like I get like really annoyed because it, it really is like, I have to intentionally not code switch at this point since I, cause I've been doing it since I'm, I mean, gosh, a long time. So it's like intentional when I don't code switch. So I think I was in a business meeting last week and that's one of the, as far as like not being 
with like a team, like me pitching myself to a company and like not code switching. And then like, I'm not going to be anybody's token. Like, this is how I talk, blah, 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 blah. So, and I mean, it's just like, uh, I didn't realize like how freeing that was, but you bring up amazing points. I mean, I'm talking about like the surface level as, as far as like what code switching, the code switching is, but like, yeah, I've seen stuff online that like, just like basically treating it as like, it's a skill, like, oh, you have this, like, you know, you can code switch, like you can do that, blah, 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 blah. But it's just like, there's a lot of other layers that go into that about like, what that means. Like, why, why would I have to code switch to like, save my life? Like, that's, a, I mean, that's the reality that like, yeah, think, so. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you said that, because it's important to understand that code switching for minoritized people in order to accommodate and be included by the power majorities is different, again, different than the forms of switching that we have to do to be in different spaces. Yes, yes, right? yes. And, and a lot of times when we switch anyway, it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as a sociologist, criminologist with a background of criminal justice, as, as Black people who specialize in these fields, and particularly Black women, we're always told we have to act a certain way. But I have been at conferences, meetings with white people who can be barefoot, <laughs> hair <laughs> long down their back, barefoot. Yeah. And they are the criminal justice expert or the criminology expert. Mm. So I always tell Black people, at a point, we have to ask ourselves, what role are we playing in perpetuating that? Sometimes mm-hmm. we're deferring to people, paying the, paying the utmost respect for no legitimate reason other than we're just doing what we're always taught we have to do. And then we can't always critique white people being considered the most credible source when, again, we're complying. Mm. We can't keep critiquing while we're complying to that. So that's where the challenges happen. And so so when we're talking about switching codes, we just have to ask ourselves, for example, there's a reason why black men and white women are the most celebrated quote unquote DEI experts. They get paid mm. often the most to do trainings and to get things like book deals, which I think that there are too many books anyway. Yeah. I think that uh, people need to pause on these books, especially the books that are not easily accessible to the general population that really needs this information in the first place. But there's a reason why black men and white women, and I mean, that's historical and, and current relevance. So I just always want people to understand that some people code switch, I call it token sellout. Mm. They do it for money. And I also highlight the different forms of capital. So we talk about human capital, which looks at skills, right? The cultural capital, meaning how do you compare culturally to each other? So like power majorities know how they identify with other people. So the examples of cultural capital research over generations has been things like teachers, teachers with certain power majority identities. Which students do they most connect with? Mm. It could be playing a certain instrument, speaking quote unquote proper English, whatever the Mm. case may be. And then we have, of course, the social capital, which connects with networking, interaction. Mm -hmm. So there are many examples. There's Dr. Nan Lin's 
writings about social capital. We have Dr. Deidre Royster's book, Race and the Invisible Hand, written um, many years ago when I still was an undergrad as well. She came and spoke. And so these are just examples of readings that just show real life examples of how connecting with people is not just being nice and quote unquote professional, it's also cultural connections. What do people see when they see your face, how you're mm. dressed, how you speak? And we all have assumptions. That's why I don't waste time on bias trainings because we all have assumptions. We all mm. have prejudices. We mm. all learn something new about somebody when we actually let down our guard. The difference is power mm -hmm. because you can have a certain assumption, but if you don't have demographic and cultural and individual level power over that person, your opinion does not result in a negative outcome for that person. Mm. So that's why the forms of capital are very important to understand and how these are interlocked and connected and coexisting with power and the forms of capital. So, um, and there's a lot of research on that that you can find in public libraries and, and so forth as well. So uh, I'm normally not like this, like not have anything to say or like response. Cause like I'm literally processing everything you're saying like in real time because it really is a uh, you're, dro you're dropping some like heavy heavy stuff that like I have not in ways that I haven't thought about before like really reshaping the ways that I'm thinking so I I like the level of gratitude that I have for you coming on here and, and really sharing this much with us is I'm like incredibly uh thankful for so I really appreciate your time I am I, I'm I'm curious like so I, I mentioned before and you've touched on it a little bit before um just like switching gears a little bit You'd shared about like, you don't use terms like bias training. You don't like acronyms like DEI stuff. It's been around. I mean, that's all new. I'm, I'm curious, like what this work has been going on um, and you've been doing it for a while. Like what are the changes that you've seen in recent years? Because I think it's really picked up a lot as far as like what I've seen in the last five to 10 years. I know it's been going on for a long time, but like there's certain buzzwords that are like popular. You know what I'm saying? What have you seen as like some of the, the changes um, as you've done this work. Yeah. And when I say changes, we're talking about decline in purpose and decline in measurable success. Mm, so mm -hmm. over the past 10 years, I was very much criticizing these trainings, whether it's faculty trainings, where we had faculty meetings talking about racial justice and white people were allowed to do what white people have done for centuries, which is when we're talking about racial injustices, white colleagues would use dogs as an example. They would say things like, I used to be scared of dogs, but I gave dogs a chance. It's that thing, you know, instead of you're comparing us to dogs and, and they think it's more comfortable to talk about animals biting you than talk about how you feel about being around black people. Mm. So I will say over the past 10 years, these acronyms became more prevalent. Medical and health programs, schools, police departments, businesses, they started having DEI committees, DEI offices, blah, blah, blah. That means nothing mm -hmm. in terms of outcomes. And so this is why I tell people, and this includes people with minoritized gender identities, sexualities, health conditions, nations of origin, religions, and so forth. You have to just understand the difference between purpose and time wasting. Hmm. There's a huge difference. And we also, like I said earlier, we also have to understand 
which identities are overarching minority identities. Like I said earlier, white people overarch all minoritized identities. White people are the most prevalent complaints for human resource offices in schools, businesses, and organizations. White people are the most common to complain about sexism, reverse racism. Most complaints are filed by white employees and white mm. students. This includes white women being the biggest benefactors of affirmative action since the 1980s. And there's writings about that as well. Mm. So we just have to understand, instead of always repeating this, we just have to let people know, we're not gonna keep repeating the same thing over and over again, know the routine. We know that most people, when they say changes, they're talking about surface level stuff, like a policy in place, right? Mm. So this is why I also tell black people in particular about, and this is why I say black people, I'm talking about black people with disability, black people, LGBTQIA, and, mm -hmm. and various minoritized identities in addition to blackness. I always say, do not celebrate a written down policy change, whether mm -hmm. that's from your school, your employer, a politician, a president of the United States of America, a Congress. Yes. Them writing something down on paper and signing it and then taking photos means absolutely nothing. What they expect people in general, and especially Black people, to do is celebrate that piece of paper and boom, no other questions, no proof, mm -hmm. no need for demands or anything. Those of us who demand something are told, did you just see me sign it? Right? So, and the same thing happens when we're talking about police departments. You know, and I'm in Baltimore, Maryland now. And so most of the funds go to Baltimore Police Department. And I tell people, increase, decrease in funds, you still need to demand an audit. So you can see where the funds are going. Even if they eventually decrease funds, which I doubt will happen. If they do decrease funds from the police department and say they're putting it back into the communities, medical services, schools, you need now evidence. Mm -hmm. Don't go based on that announcement and piece of paper promising that yeah. redistribution of funds. And I always tell this because I don't celebrate marches down streets and protests if that's all. Mm. Because Black folk, we've marched protest. We fought against the oppressors for five centuries. Mm. We're always punished for that. Like white liberals will march with us. White liberals are actually the most likely people to do things like put graffiti on monuments and so forth. That's usually white liberals doing that. Yep. They put it under our name, right? Because they disappear when it's time for their to be held accountable. So mm. we're always blamed for that. So Black people, we know how to speak out. We know how to fight back. We know how to be silent when needed. And we've risked a lot. We've risked a lot. So that's why I tell white people, when you say you want to make changes, but you got to be careful because you got to protect your career, your family, you got to pay bills, that's insulting. Mm -hmm. Because that's implying that Black folk, we are just here and we don't have bills to pay. We don't have to get through school. We don't have jobs, right? Yep. Like Black LGBTQIA yep. people who've been doing this. I mean, that's the foundation of, of pride parades. Yeah, black absolutely. folk are the initiators of the gay pride parades. And in that, in these cities that celebrate having pride parades, guess who are still more likely to show up murdered and abused? 
Black LGBTQIA people, particularly mm -hmm. Black transgendered women. Mm -hmm. Police have not solved most of those crimes. So despite us always being the leaders, the spokespersons, the people to initiate all this work, we are always left hanging, sometimes literally, mm. while everyone else, particularly white people, benefit on our backs. And then when we speak out, we're told, well, why does this have to be about race? Mm -hmm. Well, because you're benefiting for, from something that Black people and Indigenous people and Asians and non-white Hispanics, non-white Latinx have done when you were still uncomfortable. We, we put ourselves out there, yeah. laid the groundwork so that you could risk your career while also knowing that if you get challenged, you can back away and say, the same way people, you know, white people are anti-Trump and hating Trump supporters and mad about January 6th, but they know that they have not really gotten rid of the white people that they claim they got rid of from the, their lives. Like when it was trending, they're like, I'm not going to be friends with so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. But guess yeah. what? They have not removed those white people from their friendships and families and careers like they told us they would. Yeah. It just sounded cool to say, especially yeah. on social media. Mm -hmm. So this is why I tell black people, having black having collaborations with white people, having white friends, even white family does not ever require what sociologists term colorblind racism. Colorblind racism, and people can read Dr. Eduardo Bonilla Silver's book, Racism Without Racists. That's mm -hmm. one of the most popular books where he has different editions. You can find the older editions for free online. And when sociologists talk about colorblind racism, it's white people in particular, but also white accommodating people who pretend that race doesn't matter, that they don't see race, or that racism has been solved because of Barack Obama or any other black person that they've tokenized for no good outcomes. And then we as black people in particular are expected to say, Okay, there's still problems, but maybe it's not race. Maybe it's class and pretend that class is not correlated with race. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's gender inequities because gender cannot be connected with race despite intentional racist, classist, sexist city designs that intentionally make it disproportionately black and brown women with children and girls with children being impoverished. Mm. So everything, literally everything is correlated with race. Why? Because all of our identities are correlated. Disability services. There's a reason why when you do disability work, the most funded disability organizations are, guess what, white people. Mm. So you can't accommodate white people and contribute to colorblind racism and then act shocked when the outcomes remain the same. You can't comfort white people by saying, you know, maybe this is nothing to do with race. And, and I also want to highlight, when we're talking about racial identities, racial variants, it doesn't mean that we have to be talking about white terrorism and white dominance, because there are different identities and factors that contribute without racism being thrown at as, as a catchword either. Mm -hmm. Because when you throw out racism as a catchword, that often means people don't really understand the issues. They don't mm -hmm. know how to discuss the issues, therefore they don't know how to change the issues. So this is why I just tell people... If you're gonna have these discussions, you wanna understand what is the conversation. So I will stop there. Okay. 
I think after talking to you, I really am like, well, I've never stopped learning, but like you make me want to hit the books even more because, <laughs> you know, a, 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 the reason why is because like, I feel like um, I fall into that category of overgeneralizing stuff and not really being specific. And if I got one thing um, out of what you shared today, based off of like what, what I've already like known and explored within myself is like, be very specific um, about like what the conversations that I, I want to have or how I want to go about uh, the conversations about like what's actually being talked about and explored when we have conversations around, I'm put, I start putting DEI in quotations because um, it really doesn't encompass <laughs> everything um, because there's just like, there's just so much as far as um, all those things. What you asked, you answered, already answered the question that I had um, in particular about like official statements from companies because like they really don't mean anything. Um, they don't. I'm curious about this. How will schools and businesses, organizations, whoever, um, determine whether a supposed like DEI expert is like worth the time of an investment of like money uh, and all those things? That's such a nice question. Oh, you're <laughs> pretending they care, right? <laughs> okay. So let's start there. There's two different answers for the groups that care they will know because they're actually saying what are what's the outcome here mm -hmm. are we going to sit two hours and we come from this defining racism defining sexism like we're in high school again mm -hmm. what are the results that's the the people who care what are the results mm -hmm. beyond definitions beyond role playing beyond those ridiculous exercises that have existed for 20 years where people say, who has the largest slice of cake? The people with the largest slice of cake, you are the privileged group. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. There's still groups that are doing that, right? Yeah. So that's the group, the, the groups who care. And when people hire me, I have, I let them know. I do authentic work where it's not one size fits all. I go based on the specific groups and groups that are ready to challenge the decision makers within the groups. So we're not just challenging staff who aren't even decision makers at the end of the day, because they can learn something and then be told, okay, if you implement this, you'll get fired, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing happens with school officials. School officials will sit in professional development trainings. School teachers will sit in professional development trainings. School counselors will sit in professional development trainings. At the end of the day, they're stuck with the policies and practices that are in place. And if they try to challenge it, they have to say, am I on the job market anyway? Like, I need a safety net, right? Mm -hmm. So people who are really, really want to make this investment, they have to see it as more than a monetary investment. It's an, an investment in making some changes so that they're doing more than making money. And I tell the same thing with medical and health professionals. Sometimes medical and health professionals will tell me that inequity, that's the unintentional outcome, but that's life. I have to pay bills. So these are people that could literally control our health and life, but they're paying bills. So whatever. Mm. So, but people who care, they have to think about what are the goals and outcomes. They have to think about the goals and outcomes. They can't just rely on what the person they're about to hire says are the goals and outcomes, mm. right? Because what the person they are about to hire says are the goals and outcomes, it has to be in line with what the group wants. And what the group wants, they have to collect demographic data. So like if you're talking about racial changes, 
It can't be a bunch of white people's opinion. If you're talking about gender changes, it can't be a bunch of cisgender people and and boys and men. And the same thing applies to every power majority. Who are the decision makers? Are you reaching the surrounding neighborhoods and communities that are underserved? And you're claiming you're reaching them, at least when you write a grant application, but mm. conveniently, you don't have time, right? Yep. So that's what I say to people who want to make the change. To the people who do not want to make the change and they are willing to spend up to $100,000 just so they can put it on their resume, their website, and their grant applications that they've been through training, I have nothing to say to them because I don't respect them. Mm. And um, and that is 100% reflected in their marketing as well. So when they recruit employees, when they recruit students, that's something I always tell people. If you want to work someplace or go to school someplace, you want to see, are they paying for equity work, but not really doing anything besides a book club? Why would you want to be affiliated with them? Why would you help them with their advertising by putting that on your resume? Mm. Why would you want to help them with their profit by donating after you graduate from that school? There's a reason why I don't donate to the schools where I attended. Mm. Hint, when they yeah. contact me for donation, Dr. Dennis, I'm not donating anything. I'll write yeah. about you to critique you, but I'm not donating anything but my challenges to you. You're mm -hmm. not going to get my money. Okay. Yeah. So that's just where I just tell people to, to, to think about that. And so, and I also want to clarify and also write medium.com pieces about this. So when we talk about generalizations, we're talking about trends and patterns, right? Mm -hmm. The overgeneralization is if you are exaggerating the outcome of those trends and patterns. So we can notice trends and patterns of behaviors across people, across groups. And sometimes we just, overextend the meaning of what this is. So for example, for black men, we can talk about health outcomes as an aggregate, but that doesn't mean it applies to every individual, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where it can become an overgeneralization, which is why discussions are very important when you're coming into this equity work. You have to have those discussions of, are we gonna go out on a leap and assume this is gonna be the results? Or are we going to say we're going to try this first stage and then discuss, was it really successful? Most schools, most businesses and most organizations, and this is around the world, they don't understand the meaning of success. Or if they do, their meaning of success is based on the power majorities remaining in power and still being happy. Mm -hmm. Right. People I've heard you say this quote before. There's a, you had, you yeah. gave a quote before that, like, jacked me up <laughs> you yeah. said power majorities are choosing these trainings and walking mm -hmm. out of them um yeah. happy then that was a bad or <laughs> well to the yeah. uh, effect of that was a bad training like they can't yeah. they power majorities can't choose the trainings that are run in these organizations schools businesses yeah. and whatnot that rock that people, rocked me yeah and people would understand this if we talked about like the president of the united states whether it's joe biden trump barack obama any president if you yeah. did a training for them and they walked around thanking you because they were so excited, that means they were not challenged. They were not mm. held accountable. Their power, their wealth was not you know, considered to contribute to their abuse of power, which includes mm. military and everything that presidents do. If the power majority is happy, that's because they checked it off their list of to-dos and you are not going to have any ability to hold them accountable 
And if you even ask them for a follow-up report, they will say it was very beneficial. We learned a great deal, mm. nothing other than that in specificity. So this is where people just have to do a cost benefit analysis and say, are there deal breakers? Like I tell teachers, you're complaining about your school during COVID. The problems that you're complaining about existed before COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So is this the deal breaker? And if it is the deal breaker, if you're gonna still work there regardless, then why should the school officials and decision makers care that you're complaining on social media? Like, and then, you know, school school teachers will say, well, we don't have unions, right? You don't have unions because they don't want you to have that power and that say so. Therefore, you are complying with what they're doing to keep you in line. So then you have to ask yourself, why are you teaching children about history of uprisings, right? But you yourself are a model of compliance. You got to ask yourself, why are you doing this? Why are you not on the job market? Why are you not thinking about options? Why are you not challenging these decision makers? Why are you, why are you, why are you, why are you? Mm-hmm. And don't be mad at me for challenging you. Because, look, what's the point of challenging your oppressors and then saying, oh, well, don't know what to do? Because Black folk, we've, ha- we've had to always kind of take a step back because, you know, we've risked everything. Mm-hmm. But after a while, we have to be honest and say, I can complain and vent all day, every day, but what are my realistic options and realistic results? So when I'm doing these speeches and everything, I'm mostly talking to Black folk and particularly any minoritized group, but I'm not really just talking to white people because white people have a tendency to act like they don't know any of this and they will still act like they don't know any of this after listening to 15 of my podcasts. Mm, Why? Mm. Because that's the convenience of white people of every political affiliation and voting pattern. The ability to say, oh, this is intense. This is awesome. All right. Now I have questions. No, you don't have questions. You have convenience. Mm. You have situational perplexity. So I can give you a reading list so you can spend the rest of your life reading stuff. I don't care about the theories you learn. I don't care about the research you quote. I don't care about the authors you love. No matter the books, if you're not doing anything, then that's the that's the point. Mm. Yeah, there was a. This is just a side note. Somebody just something you said just like triggered me. It's like uh, this uh, social media like influencer quote unquote like posted like this is what I'm doing on King Day, and she just like posted about her buying books from this black owned bookstore and these authors. And I'm like, oh. so, I just got pissed. Cause I'm like, what the, f- what is going on? Like that, that has been like, Oh, like, I don't know. I don't know what you want me to do with that. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure she got a bunch of like cookies or whatever, but uh, from other folks, but I'm just like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to like feel about that in general. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, like that's dope. Cool. I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But you didn't do anything. Like there's no. Right. What what work beyond that have you done? Like right. Yeah. Like why that day did you choose that? Because yeah. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is every day for us, not just yes. on this quote unquote MLK Day, right? That, yes. That only exists for for white people. Yes. And and having those books probably have the most New York Times bestseller books, which means it's something that's trending, right? Yeah. It wouldn't be. Black writers who 
have been punished for writing, who have been silenced for writing. So it wouldn't be those books that are banned um, and not just banned now because of Trump lovers, but banned in general for centuries, right? Yeah. And so, and I always tell people like, what is your announcement? What, what, why are you announcing this to us? Mm-hmm. And, and black people are not the only minoritized group that needs to hold power majorities accountable for announcing. Yeah. Like every minoritized group and especially if they don't have a power that overarches their minoritized identity, they need to ask the power majority this announcement. Why? Mm-hmm. You know what's happening here, and yeah. and it's okay for people to feel bad that you don't celebrate them because their celebration doesn't have real outcomes. Well, I've kept you uh, longer than I I originally told you. I apologize. But thank you so much, Dr. Kimya. I really appreciate your time, your wisdom, your knowledge for us. Like, I, I think this was the, out of all the podcasts I've done thus far, like, this is one of the ones where I've been quiet the most because I just, like, <laughs> my, my, I, I just, no, 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 that's not on you. I just, like, my mind, I mean, I'm going to go lay down and, like, digest everything that you dropped for us today because I, I feel like, um, uh, gosh, I just got, I just got so much more to learn so much to, yeah, to explore within myself and like challenge myself in, in, in a, a wide variety of ways. And I think you, you definitely did that. And so I would love to plug whatever you're doing. I'm, obviously I'm going to put it in the show notes. Um, you dropped a lot of resources for us. So I'm going to, mm-hmm. when I'm doing this in the playback, I'm going to make sure that I put as many of those resources that you dropped for us in the show notes, but where can people find your work? Where can people reach out to you? Um, and all that stuff. Thank you. So they can go to 365diversity.com. They'll see my link tree. And I'm now posting stuff on Instagram from my medium.com page as well. I was, I didn't understand Instagram. So I was kind of holding on to that for like a year. (laughs) But now I have that. (laughs) So I always just want to encourage people to get off their smartphones, get off their laptops, get from behind those books, because those are also disguises. Those are distractions. Mm, You're not an armchair theorist. You're not an armchair researcher. You're not an ivory tower master. You're someone who claims you want equity work. So even if you have a mental or physical disability and you're not able to be out there literally in communities and in-person work, you can ask people, what can you do from where your space is located to do stuff besides quoting a book that you read? Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't want to see any more, like I quoted some books, but that's because that was actually qualitative work to give people motivation to see these are real life things happening that don't stop existing just because you're using that be kind t-shirt that y'all love so much. (laughs) Get out there and do some stuff. And I'm not just talking about marching and protests. If you weren't doing anything before that protest, you will definitely not do anything after that protest. Mm -hmm. So I'm the black person who was not impressed with you at the George Floyd protests. I was not impressed with you. And I'm talking to white liberals. I was not impressed with you. Because yeah. I know the, I know what that means. It mm-hmm. means something that was popular, especially during COVID started and people weren't going to school and work. It was popular. It was convenient. You could be considered challenging impressor, but you went back to normal, quote unquote, normal once things got back to normal. So I'm the disgruntled Black person. Mm-hmm. And black, pers- black people were mad at me when I refused to be thankful for white liberals. Mm-hmm. Because Black people were told to be grateful for the bare minimum of anything, despite 
black, you know, white people not doing a whole lot of consistency, we're told to be thankful for white people march down with the poster. Mm-hmm. I'm the disgruntled black person. And I will continue that because white people cannot claim to want changes and to need to be taught how to make changes and then not understand why I'm not great for their bare minimum. So this is where I hold white people accountable for consistency mm-hmm. and inconvenience on their part. Yeah. And I don't want to keep it going, but I did, I know on my own social media feed, there was people that took the liberty to uh, post like these, just like have these like immaculate like posts that they were at a protest, but like, yeah. I ain't never heard seeing you do anything. You just right. like, and then and then nothing after that. You know, they posted right. a black square, but that was about it. And, um, and, yeah, and again, I'm yeah. cisgender heterosexual, so yeah. my doing protests and pride parades and anything regarding LGBTQIA rights, I'm not going to post about that and like celebrate me. Look at me. Instead, mm-hmm. it's like, why is the focus on me? Exactly. I'm the power majority within this context. So I also encourage you to consider maybe making this two separate episodes so people I can will, hear maybe sure. 30 minutes and they won't be like, y'all will not shut up. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kimia. I really do appreciate your time, knowledge, you. wisdom, and all of that. I really do. Thank you so much. Y'all. I told you it was going to be a jam-packed episode. Shout out to Dr. Kimia again for coming through and learning us a little something. If you found yourself uncomfortable this episode, good. (laughs) If you found yourself challenged in this episode, good. And to be quite honest, I felt both of those things myself. Not because I was learning something new necessarily, although I did learn a lot, but I was reminded about how content I've become in this work. And I I forgot that there's there's a certain level of like consistency and unapologeticness that that is necessary. And to be quite honest, I've become like complacent because it's easier to talk than act. It's easier to theorize about big, large, abstract things because that's the only place where they can exist. And there's no accountability to act, to change, and most importantly, to hold others accountable. So I will only echo Dr. Kimya's challenge to us. Let's stop hiding behind our books, theories, social media accounts, but find some way to act, to be uncomfortable, to hold power majorities accountable, to hold ourselves accountable. Thanks for listening, y'all. This podcast was produced by myself, Jonathan Dumas. Additional production help by the incomparable Lindsay Dumas, with music by the oh-so-talented Mr. Tony Deras. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. It really helps folks discover the show. Till next time, y'all. Peace. <laughs>